You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It is the 8 o'clock hour. It is the fourth Saturday of the month. That means we are with the... The ever and and uh, what's the the right word? The ever encouraging GP friendly. <laughs> I'm very friendly. Friendly encouraging Greg Peterson, otherwise known as Farmer Greg, Woo-hoo! and this Saturday to talk urban farming. Thank you for joining us in studio, and we've got uh, a lot about citrus today. Yeah, well, a lot about fruit trees. This is fruit tree season for us, and the citrus won't quite be here yet, but we're toward the end of the deciduous, uh, and we've got lots of. Lots of peaches, apricots, plums, uh, pomegranates, figs, grapes. We've got all those available. Excellent. And last Saturday when Jay was in, we were talking a lot about tomatoes. And mm-hmm. if you were took his advice and you got your gardens ready, you can go get a little more hands-on because we have a few things that come in with tomatoes. you got the blossom end rot. You oh, have yeah. uh, calcium in the hole. Calcium. There's a, a couple little things in that uh, – Tomatoes are a, a a good challenge. They're not your uh, yes. they're not your radishes. They're yep. not your okra. Right. <laughs> yeah. Tomatoes are a bit challenging, and uh, the really the best time to grow tomatoes is right now. We have a we have one really one good window for tomatoes, and it's January through about June, the end of June, maybe beginning of July. Uh, trying to grow them in the fall is really hard, but right now it's a great time. And, and I'm a little curious on this. Uh, tell me a little bit more about it. Well, hydro, like you make your own, you're making can, your own hydroponic setup. Yeah, it's so it's a uh, five gallon, two five gallon buckets with the wicking bed being in the top bucket, and in the bottom bucket there, that's where you put your. Water, water and nutrients is go in the bottom, and the water wicks up into the second bucket and into the or into the top bucket and waters the roots of the tomatoes. It's uh, it's really innovative. It's really cool. Now, neither one of us are a lot of gizmo type person, but we're right. gadget people when it comes to food preparation. And we've oh, that's traded. True. You, that's true. I, I brought you the hydrator last year. You borrowed our. Uh, our combination three in one. It's a juicer. Orange, yep. It's a juicer. It's an apple slicer. Um, the next one on my list, though, that I want to get before our peppers and our tomatoes come to harvest. Have you seen Lehman's squeeze strainer food mill? You just put your tomatoes, your peppers up here in this funnel, oh. crank the handle, and your salsa comes out into oh, your you know, nice. everything into your salsa. You just grind it up in one, and it comes out. Yeah. That's that's the that next at the cool. Whitman plantation. Yeah, cool. And how fun will that be? That everything would is grown on your own property. Mm-hmm. Take it in, put it in your food mill. You've got your fresh salsa right there. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Well, it, you know, tomatoes grow pretty dang prolifically here. You got to do it right. Excellent. So you got to do it right. And there's three common things at home that you put in the hole. Check out. And that's not the uh, French fries and t- tomato, is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Have you seen that plant? They've got. Oh yeah, no, no. That's a different <laughs> plant. I'm talking about what you when you plant your plant. One of the things I'll give you a hint. Grow, one of the for things, growing soil. <laughs> for yeah, for growing the tomato. One of the things you uh, put down in there is a banana peel. Mm? 
potassium, baby. Okay. That helps it grow. There's a couple other things that you can put in the hole that uh, will have them grow better. Here's another tomato tip for you. Um, you know those hairs on the stem of a tomato? Mm-hmm. Um, those will turn into roots if you bury them. So often what I'll do is I'll let the tomatoes grow to 18 inches and I'll bury them deep. So you can actually bury it. If, if you have an 18-inch tall tomato, you can put nine, inch of it, nine inches of it underground and I just uh, pinch off any branches that are on there, put the leaves in the hole, bury it nine, ten inches deep, uh, and it makes for a much stronger, longer-living tomato plant. Very you have, cool. Yeah, you have a strange look on your face like, are you sure, Peterson? <laughs> well, I'm trying to picture burying it nine inches. That's a... That's deep. That's a hole. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and a friend of mine, uh, Michael... Uh, Abelman over at uh, Fairview Gardens, when I met him in 2004, he was deep tomato planting. So what he would do is he would grow them out all winter in the greenhouse and get them four feet tall. And then he would put three feet of them underground. Just bury the whole plant. Bury the whole plant underground. Exactly. (laughs) And the reason he would do that, they they were doing some dry farming there. You know, in California, mm-hmm. it's a little bit drier, and so they were doing dry farming. And by planting the tomato that deep, it gets the moisture for three feet of moisture. So he's growing the tomato plant to four feet. So was he digging in a seven-foot hole? No, he's okay. digging a three-foot three hole. Yeah, three-foot so deep hole. So he's burying almost half of the plant. Over over half. Four-foot. Four, oh, yes, Four-foot yes. tall plant. And it's a three-foot Three-foot underground, yeah. 75% of the plant. Yeah, 75% of the ground. Okay. Exactly. It's a hmm. it's it's a really uh, effective way of growing tomatoes. I had never heard that. Yeah. So. All right. You, you got it. Good. I'm patting myself on really. the back here. <laughs> you should. You got- <laughs> that, that's stunning to me, too. The really? hairs on a stem the hairs on of a the tomato plant will turn into roots. You got to stop doing these classes on Saturdays. I've worked Saturdays. Oh, I, I know. To... <laughs> That's whenever most you know we do on Friday. We do Friday tours. Okay, at the well, urban I, farm. Yes, we'll but have you didn't Friday do a tomato. Tours. You didn't do these classes on. That's true. That's true. I'm working on a plan though. You know me. I'm always oh, working yeah. on something. Get them videotaped, and then I can watch them online for signing up or something later. There you go. <laughs> There you go. All right. Now, we do have citrus on the talking point to today, and you just grabbed this book. Oh, yeah. So I love citrus. And, you know, I've lived here in Arizona for 52 years this year. Is that amazing? 52 years this August I've lived in Arizona. And 30 years, I've been 30 years this uh, September at the Urban Farm. And one of the things that I love is citrus. And, you know, people, when I talk to them about planting citrus, it's like, ugh. I don't need any more citrus because they're thinking Arizona sweets, yellow grapefruits, and lemons. And mostly it's Arizona sweets and the yellow grapefruits that have been grown for over 100 years here. And that's what everybody has. But there is such a variety, an amazing variety of other different fruits that we'll talk about here in a little while that you know, they're just knock your socks off. They're so great. So I really uh, invite you to explore what, what other kind of citrus you might want to grow. Okay. And there are no shortages of selections. 
There, you. Uh, I don't know that I'd go there. Um, the, our biggest problem is is that we have um, of options. You, you have lots of options. Well, yeah. So here, you remember this book from last year, the citrus industry. This is a tome. This thing has um, uh, six hundred pages in it, and each one of these orange tabs is a page uh, explaining a um, you know one of the varieties. Uh, so this one wow. says large round kumquat, um, and it has, uh, I don't know, pages. <laughs> it has pages on kumquats. And uh, so literally there are hundreds of different varieties, maybe even thousands of different varieties of citrus that are explained in this book. And that looks um, like one of those great old school textbooks. Yeah, so copyright pre sixties is $10, $10 <laughs> in it. Um, it's 1964, I think, 67, yeah. 1967. It's called The Citrus Industry, Volume 1. This book talks about all of the known citrus varieties. So I like to use it for, uh, you know, backup research. But we really only have one commercial grower here in the state. Wow. Yeah, and we can talk more about that after the break. Of all the citrus, only one local company one one local company there in yuma sunset citrus nursery uh they're great um but you know with the uh with the whole citrus psyllid thing going on citrus greening disease um it you know it, it made it hard for growers to actually commercially grow hmm, interesting because i don't know if i told you this uh, my company grow phx you can find it at growphx.com we just bought a twelve thousand dollar hammer mill. Um, we didn't. We bought it used, but they're twelve thousand dollars new, and it's for milling carob flour and milling mesquite flour. And so, in May and June of this year, we're going to be actually doing public millings where people can collect their beans, and we'll teach you how to do that in April and May. You go out and collect your beans, process, you know, prep them for us, then you bring them to us, and we'll mill them into flour for you. So I could bring all of my mesquite pod droppings, yep. do the process. Yep. Uh, do you have to take them out of there? Nope. Okay. Nope. We mill, we mill right. the whole pod. Whole pod. Uh, you just have to dry them out. So you have to okay. put them in your dehydrator, uh, stick them in your oven, leave them in your car for a week in uh, June so that they just, you know, basically you need to have them dry. just need dry. them dried out. Okay. Yeah, you need to have them dried Very out. Cool. Now, I, this is a new thing. Yeah. Uh, how many count on pounds of beans... What what does a pound of bean pods equate to flour? Is that like two cups of flour? Well, <laughs> like a, if you're talking poundage, a pound of pound of beans is going to make a pound of flour. It will. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we're talking with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House for Saturday of the month. We spend it in the urban farm. If you have a question or would like to join the conversation, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions to four one one. Nine two three, or you can email us if you need to snap a picture of a insect or plant to help, uh, or something else to help describe what it is you are trying to accomplish in your urban farm. You can send that to info at rosyonthehouse.com. Continuing our conversation here with Farmer Greg, and I we've Always got more talking points than we have time to cover. <laughs> I um, planned it that way, you know. <laughs> and 
we didn't get through half of what we had for segment one. <laughs> and I'm going to sidestep us even more. All right. Because you had made a, a comment about you know working the urban farm, the same piece mm-hmm. of land for 30 years. And mm-hmm. there's something about that. It's just like the heartland of America. You know, when we go back to the family farm in Louisiana, it's multi-generations working the same property. And, uh, you know, Seeing that here locally, and I had to take, I, I bought a piece of American history to bring home to the Whitman Plantation. Oh my gosh. 1956, John Deere, Series 70. Wow. He's showing me a picture of it. That's cool. You got to post that on the okay. notes page. I will. And talk about uh, appreciation for old fashioned engineering. Yeah. A lot of people like, you know, why spend that much? Why spend money on an old tractor? You know what? I could spend a lot more on a new tractor and not do anything on it. The mechanics are so complicated. The I mean, there's nothing on this you can't look at and be like, you know what? I I, I can I can I fix, can fix that. that. I can fix that. <laughs> I not that I want to spend all my time working on the tractor, but right. being able to make to work on something yourself. Uh, whether it's your land, whether it's your equipment, whether it's your vehicles, mm-hmm. whatever the case is, whether your horses, just j- your lawn, your garden, your urban farm, working on it yourself with your hands. There's something that really just is therapeutic, uh, yeah, I was harmonious, having, uh, I was heartland. This, yeah, I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine this week. You know, how do we learn that stuff? I My dad was a financial planner. By the way, his name was Norm Peterson when he was alive. Not the guy on Cheers. Okay. And he was a financial planner, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, he was a foreign. And I don't think the guy on Cheers was a financial planner. No. But he was into, I can't remember. Um, He's the guy at the end of the bar. So my dad, t- you know, when I, I had a paper out in the 1970s, and so he taught me all about collecting the money and keeping the books and all that kind of stuff. But then when it comes down to all of the things that we that I learned I I can't even tell you how I learned how to use a table saw or um, sweep you know there's a particular way that to use a push broom that's most effective so that you don't redistribute the dust into the air you keep it on the ground and push it to your you know so you know it's these are all the cool things that I've learned along the years from people I guess observation and people and and um, you know I've integrated them in and one of the things that I love, I have a 1985 Toyota pickup truck. I don't change the oil on it, but I could. <laughs> you know, I, I don't do repairs on it, but I could. You know, it's it's the like this tractor of yours. I mean, you know, it's fixable. It's doable. It's something that we can, um, you know, we can we can handle that if we needed to. So, all right, back onto our topic <laughs> and. Uh, one of the talking points we didn't get to in the last one was how long trees will live. Mm. Now, there's you live in a citrus grove. I do. That's older than this 1953 tractor. Yes, <laughs> I 56, do. 56 tractor. Um, so actually, when I moved onto the street 30 years ago, there was an old gentleman. He was in his 80s back then. His name was Wes. He actually grew up in the neighborhood. So he was there. If you do the math going back, he was there when they planted out these trees um, in the aughts and... 19 aughts and 1920s. Right? So uh, I actually have two Arizona sweet oranges on the back, pro- back side of my property. They're still thriving. There is so much fruit on them. And they're approaching 100 years old. Um, I, when I went back to school in 1999, 1998, something like that at Phoenix College, I took this writing class. And one of my assignments was to go out and find a cool book 
on a topic that I enjoyed. So I found this book, John McAfee. It's called Oranges. This is a, a 150 page, 150 page history of citrus hmm. on the planet. It's a really cool read. It was uh, again 1967 or something like that. But in here, speaking to how long they live, in here, uh, they're on page um, 23. It says in Europe. One celebrated, one celebrated tree called Constable lived for 473 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this tree, also known as Francois or Le Grand Bourbon, 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 there we go, was planted as a seed in 1421 by the gardener of the Queen of Navarre. So... Uh, you know, citrus, especially if you take care of them, can easily live 100 years here uh, in the low desert. But there are specific things you have to do, and that's what we're going to talk about here in a little while, to make sure that you keep them thriving. Thriving is the key, because what's the point of having a citrus tree if you don't get produce? <laughs> or what's the point of having a fruit tree if you don't get fruit? In fact, what's the point of having planting any tree it's really important to set your tree up for success. So you want to dig a hole, maybe the, the depth of the pot your tree, the, the tree is in, 18 to 24 inches wide. And what goes in the hole is really important. Uh, because what we have to do is we have to set up a system that starts this process of creating healthy soil underneath. You take 40% of the native soil, because the, the native soil is really important, because it's got micronutrients in it, but it's really, it's bound up. So we have to make it available. And we make it available by adding 60% organic matter in the hole. Now I sell a product called Farmer Greg's Planting Mix, which you can also get at uh, Summer Winds Nursery, Berry's True Value Hardware. And it's specifically made for your gardens and for plant, tree planting, it's and a planting mix. Is that what you do with Tanks Green stuff out of exactly. Tucson? Perfect. Yep. Tanks, is, Tanks makes that 60-40 mix, native soil, some kind of really great organic matter. Uh, mycorrhiza, which is microbial life, fungal life that goes in the hole, an ounce of that. A pound of azomite, which is a vitamin pill for your tree, and worm castings. That's what... Worm castings. That's a real polite way of putting it. <laughs> Worm poop, baby. All right, Farmer Greg, we're halfway through. I'm just going to turn it over to you. Which one of these talking <laughs> points uh, are most important for us to hit wrapping up the second half oh of this gosh. hour? Oh, my gosh. You know, one of, the, one of these Saturdays, we ought to go four hours talking about farming and growing stuff in your yard because we never have enough time. And even then, we would still be like, "How did how, where did four hours go?" <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. Well, so let's talk about really successfully growing fruit trees in the desert. That's one of the big pieces here, you know, because just planting, and you know, for our longtime listeners, they, you know, you've heard this before, but this is a good review. Uh, just planting a citrus in the middle of your lawn or in the middle of your gravel backyard and walking away from it, you're probably going to kill it. In fact, I cover that in my class that I give all the time, three ways to kill your fruit trees. And way number one to kill your fruit trees is plant them in a very hot microclimate. Way number two is to plant them in a lawn. And way number three is to water them with drip irrigation. And I've seen 
I can easily say in the past 10 years, hundreds of pictures of people send that people send me that, uh, you know, what's wrong with my fruit tree? And they have the gravel all the way up to the trunk of the tree. You know, you're just cooking the poor tree. So I've developed a, uh, a couple of rules around this. One of them, I call it my six, six rule and rules. My fruit tree rules aren't meant to be broken. Just do this. And then I have all kinds of guidelines, which, you know, we talked about some of the guidelines last month, keeping your tree small and so on and so on. But the 6-6 rule is six inches of woody mulch in a six-foot diameter around the basin, basin around the base of your tree. This is an absolute. Uh, Basically, what you're doing by adding woody mulch around the space, and this is whether you're in gravel. So if you're in gravel, just rake the gravel back at least three feet in all directions. Um, Four feet is better. And use the gravel at the edge of the basin as your barrier to hold your mulch in. Um, and if you're doing a lawn, dig a three, a six-inch deep divot in your lawn, uh, and put the tree in the middle, and put woody mulch in the, you know, in the divot around the base. So what the woody mulch is doing is it's creating healthy soil. Uh, it's cooling down the space. Uh, it's bringing life into the soil. It's really starting to build a good ecosystem around the base of your tree so that you can have a tree last 100 plus years. Imagine that, you know, having a tree that you're planting now could be, you know, your grandkids could be picking it or their great grandkids could be picking, picking it. So really important, my 6-6 six, six rule, six inches of woody mulch, six foot diameter basin around the tree. And there's something that I discovered last year, and I'm calling this my silver bullet we call it the 2018 silver bullet of growing fruit trees in the desert. The and silver bullet. Silver bullet, yeah. Silver bullet's like the end oh, all yeah. be all, right? Yeah, okay, good. Takes Lone out the- Lone Ranger here. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, I noticed middle of August last year in my front yard, it was 140 degrees at ground level. Yeah, Gary's got a puzzled look on his face. Yeah, it was that hot. And and that's just regular grass ground, dirt ground? That was just regular dirt ground. Wow. Exactly. Six inches down, it was 120 degrees. That's enough to kill your trees. In my front yard, I also have sweet potatoes growing. And the sweet potatoes shade the ground. And underneath the sweet potatoes, at that same moment, it was 89 degrees. Are you kidding? No, not at all. You know, all. sweet potatoes could cool that uh, area. Well, basically, you know, when you plant a tree Air on the space. west side of your house, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get shade on your house. Um, my west facing wall at the urban farm, uh, you can't touch it in August, in the middle of the afternoon, you can't touch it. It's so hot. But if we put a tree in the way, it shades it and, you know, it stops that heat from radiating into your house. That's exactly what we're trying to do with planting a ground cover around the base of your trees. Now, I like to use a ground cover that is on the same watering system as your fruit trees. So there's sweet potatoes do real well with that. Cow peas are another, it's a bean, uh, you know, kind of a desert loving bean that grows really, really well here. Tepiary beans might work as, as well. And you plant those around the base of your trees and that cools the ground around the base of your trees and has increased success of growing fruit trees immensely. And really, if you plant this around the base of any of your trees, they're going to be happy. You're going to be happier for it. Plus, the sweet potatoes 
you get sweet potatoes. You can eat the leaves and you get sweet potatoes. Um, and the cowpeas are a nitrogen fixer, so it's pulling nitrogen out of the ground and out of the air and making it available for the trees. So all I do with the sweet potato leaves in the winter when they freeze back and the cowpea leaves is I just fold them into the basin and it starts to add nitrogen into the space, which is, you know, nitrogen and fertilizer is what we need. So that's one of my uh, rules for growing a healthy tree. And when we talk about how long they live, last January of 2018, we mm-hmm. had the Justice Brothers on with the Farm Bureau. Oh, yeah. And they run the U of A Extension's old test grove of 70 acres out right. in the surprise area. Yeah, that, isn't that cool? Out uh, in Whitman, I think, isn't it? Uh, Waddell. Waddell, thanks. And uh, it's a you pick it now. So, you know, it takes three, four years for... Uh, from starting a plant on citrus because they produce on old growth. Yep. Get that today and then go out to uh, Waddell and pick uh, everything you know that you can expect in the next coming yeah, exactly. years if you follow the directions that, exactly. that you pick it. But when they were on, they are, you know, that, if I remember right, that was over 80-year-old oh, yeah. uh, growth that they're oh, managing. Yeah. And he quoted, uh, he not quoted, he he cited the oldest known citrus tree in it. America is UC Davis in California at the Ag School Ooh, there. Now, how old? you've got a little bit of a different climate, and oh, yeah. it's closer to the coast, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's 1850 was planted in the 1850s. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, see, here you go. If we treat the trees well, they're going to last a long time. And so I've never done the, uh, what you should call it, the sweet potato vines around. Yeah. But I know a lot of the old growers used to do like, watermelon and pumpkin in between the row groves yeah the problem with that is they require a different watering schedule Uh, you want to you want to do you know the whatever you're growing underneath your trees has to be on the same watering schedule yeah yeah, exactly because uh one of the so remember i said um lawn Mm -hmm. gravel and watering and watering your tree uh honest to gosh once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer. And people go, that's not enough. Well, I live on a flood irrigated property. And guess what? I've been there 30 years, as we mentioned earlier. How often do I get water? Once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer. Flood water. That's my flood water that comes in, right? Mm-hmm. I never extra water my trees except for sometimes the first year. Getting them established, getting get, the roots deep. They've yeah. got to get a little extra love. So, yeah. so over watermelon and a pumpkin they require daily water exactly gotcha. that's going to over over your water your trees and here's what happens people they'll water their tree and then it starts drooping a little bit what do you do add more water. you add more water right well <laughs> when you overwater your tree it droops and then you add more water and it gets more overwatered uh, you know and you know it's just a downward spiral mm-hmm. so once a month <laughs> and it, 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 on our website um, and in our membership site, if you get fruit trees from me, you get access to our membership site. And I have fertilizing instructions, watering instructions, planting instructions, planting videos. I cover all of that. This is, you know, I planted my first fruit tree here in Phoenix near 28th Street and Indian School Road in 1975. 43 years ago, 44 years ago, 44 years ago. I've been growing fruit trees here that long. I've learned a little bit, but more than that, over the past 20 years, I've learned a lot from y'all out there that are doing stuff. And you send me a picture and it's like, why isn't this working? And I can take one look at most pictures and 
I can tell you why it's not working. Um, and it's, it, it really boils down to you're either cooking your tree or uh, the grass, the Bermuda grass is out competing your tree or you're overwatering or underwatering your tree. And I like your six inches of woody mulch. Woody mulch on a six foot diameter around yep. the uh, around planting the hole. Yes, yeah, plant around the trunk. Now, do you, as the tree grows out, do you mm-hmm. try and make that mm-hmm. match the drip canopy yep. of the tree? Exactly. The, you uh, the drip line. You, you that's best. What you're doing with that woody mulch is you're over time you're making this really amazing, mind blowing soil underneath your tree. And that decomposition as it's uh, naturally, mm-hmm. you know, that that, that becomes your fertilizer. Yeah, you don't exactly. need to then supplement later with additional, uh, whether it's <clears throat> granulars or whether it's, uh, you know, injected into the watering line. I mean, exactly. you could still do that. You can still do it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have Elaine Ingham on my podcast. I have a podcast, a twice a week podcast at urbanfarmpodcast.com. And Elaine Ingham is a nationally, internationally known soil expert. And that's her contention. If you set up everything right underneath your tree, it will eventually get to the point where you don't have to fertilize your tree because it's getting everything it needs because you've created such a healthy environment underneath it. And that means no chemicals, no chemical fertilizers, no chemical pesticides, no chemical anything, uh, and you know, dur- during that startup process. Self-managing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. Well, and that's, you know, that's what happens in the forest. Nobody comes along and fertilizes and cut trees in the forest. What happens is, is the leaves fall, branches fall. You know, it builds this nice, heavy, thick stuff, layer of stuff, you know, underneath the trees. And the trees just love it. Trees just love it. In the basins around my trees at the urban farm, I can rake back the, you know, two inches of the woody mulch. And we're starting to get really nice soil. And what I in the spring, I'll see all kinds of feeder roots that are up in there from the tree. It's awesome. There is a YouTube one-hour video on that. It's called Return to Eden, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's a, that it's, was from a few years ago. It's exactly that. Just let, uh, let Nate, don't pick up your leaves. Uh, if you're trimming branches to help thin or shape, just let them fall on yeah. the ground, which I do. I would, I would rather have a chipper because then that makes it a lot easier for walking. But right now, I'd, I do just leave them till You can borrow mine. Well, now that I've got the tractor, I can get an attachment to hook onto the back. Ooh, that, nice. That will chip it. So nice. I yeah. got I got lots of accessories and and <laughs> and plan for this. Uh, cool. So this tractor. that that's for the basin around your tree, and um, for what goes in the hole, you take forty percent of the native soil because the native soil the native soil is really important because it's got micronutrients in it adding 60% organic matter in the hole. Now, I sell a product called Farmer Greg's Planting Mix, which you can also get at uh, Summerwinds Nursery, Berry's True Value Hardware, and it's specifically made for your gardens and for plant, tree planting. 60-40 mix, native soil, some kind of really great organic matter. Uh, mycorrhiza, which is microbial life, fungal life that goes in the hole, that, uh, an ounce of that. A pound of azomite, which is a vitamin pill for your tree, and worm castings. So we got the basin rule, the six-six rule, and you got the rule about what goes in the hole. These are things that are doing that you're doing to set yourself up for, for success with your trees.
Well, I hope the thought of worm poop doesn't spoil your breakfast, because <laughs> I want to talk about that for a few more minutes. There's a, right, cool. a company uh, out of Northern California that took over an old dairy farm. Oh, right. And turned it into their uh, worm, worm poop farm. generator, yeah. their worm casting mass wiggle. It didn't work out for us to go into the Heirloom Festival uh, the last couple of years, because it's right across from where they hold that at Sonoma County every oh, right. year. And <clears throat> they talk about that like it's gold it is it is gardener's gold man this the worm castings or worm poop basically as the as the worms eat rotting food waste not the food waste it's the food waste is going through their gut and it, it's being injected with all kinds of microbial life and when it comes out of the other end it's just this amazing fertilizer for your garden and we're where do you get it locally? <laughs> can't, oh, can you, or do you have to import it? No, no, no. Actually, uh, Zach Brooks over at Arizona Worm Farms uh, is, and I think they're probably at ArizonaWormFarms.com. I'm, I'm going to look that up right now. They're at, uh, I'm, I'm thinking southern, south of Southern on 19th Avenue over there. It is an amazing project that he's put together over there. Uh, they do tours and classes and all kinds of cool stuff. It's an educational space. Uh, so go check out what uh, Zach Brooks and uh, at Arizona Worm Farms is doing. Yep, ArizonaWormFarm.com. So farms have cows for milk. Does he have a group full of worms to make the worm poop? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. They've got all. They've got a whole setup of. Mm. Uh, in fact, it was really cool for me because I used to have. We used to literally sell a couple of tons of worm castings every season with our fruit trees. Wow. And so it was, and I had to bring it in from Northern California. And these big totes, so it's nice that you know we have we it just, local. Yeah. yeah, we just have it local. I go see our buddies over at Arizona Worm Farms. In fact, we should have Zach come on the show with us one of these times. I'll uh, reach out to him and see if we can get him. Because I'd it, like to know how he cares for the worms, and you know, you care for the worms so you can get the product made. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We, he, they do tours for that. Uh-huh. They do tours for that, right. so you can go out and get a tour of Arizona Worm Farms, and he talks all about that. In fact, he does really inexpensive classes on. Creating a worm bin for yourself. So, people ask me all the time about composting for their house. And if if you want to compost at your house and you just have your kitchen scraps, it's not enough to set up a compost bin. Compost bins aren't easy. Composting's challenging. It takes a lot of materials. In fact, the perfect size is four by four by four. That's a four foot cube. That's like sixty four cubic feet of material <laughs> in order to effectively compost. So instead of doing that, get a worm bin. Hmm. You can put a worm bin underneath your sink. They don't smell. Um, it, it, and he, he'll he help you set them up. They they do these great classes about that. I, I could talk about what he's up to all day. But he, Zach Brooks over at Arizona Worm Farms, I think his, uh, his main guy over there is Clark. And uh, they do great work. <clears throat> they do great work. Tell him, tell him Farmer Greg sent you if you end up over there. I don't know if it's just me, but I, I, there's got to be a ton of people out there that just have a picture of Lloyd talking about his worm farm. <laughs> cool. I got worms. There you go. <laughs> From the movie Dumb and Dumber. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, got it. Harry, I missed was that their, reference. They're playing to get You guys were laughing. I was here <laughs> dumbfounded. It's like, what are you talking about? I got it. I got worms. <laughs> it's like, what? All right. So my favorite citrus. Let's talk about my favorite citrus. (laughs) I've got three favorite citrus. The Caracara Pink Navel, and we've eaten those on the show before. Mm, They're delicious. Yeah. Um, They usually come in about December. Caracara Pink Navel. It's a navel orange that's pink inside, 
and pink and sweet and just amazing. I know that uh, Trader Joe's sells them sometimes. Um, the Trovita orange is a uh, is a peeling orange, but it's also a good squeezing orange. There's a few uh, seeds in it. Uh, that's number two for me. And number three is the gold nugget mandarin. Have you been to Whole Foods and seen those really expensive sumo oranges? You know, they've, they've got a, they're about the size of a softball and they got a little nipple at the top and they're three dollars and ninety nine cents a pound. Wow. So each one of them and they're big. So each one of them is costing you about three bucks. They're easy peel. There's no seeds. Um, you know, it's a really nice fruit. It's exclusive. There's a farm in in Southern California is the only place that grows them and they don't they don't let the budwood out. So somebody else can't be growing it. Gold Nugget Mandarin is as close as you're going to get. And they are amazing. Amazing. They're about the size of a, a baseball. Uh, they peel real easily. They're sweet. There's no seeds in them. They're and that's called what again? Gold Nugget Mandarin. Gold we sell them. Nugget. Yeah, we'll have them in our uh, fruit tree program in March. The actual tree to grow them? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Awesome. What, dude. Well, you That's said they do. only grew in California. Oh, no, the sumo. Oh, very gotcha. good. Thanks for the clarification. The sumo is only grown in California on one on one farm. But the closest thing to the sumo is, is the, golden the golden nugget. nugget. Yeah, and that's what you've nugget. got it. Excellent. That, yeah. We'll exactly. have to check that out. Yeah. I've gotten pretty spoiled since uh, Amanda, I really haven't had to go to the grocery shopping uh, much in the last uh, decade. <laughs> you know, my sweetie Heidi and I, we have a Thursday night date. Grocery shopping. Yeah, exactly. We go to the grocery store together. And I get mad at her if she goes without me. Well, it's just fun, you know. It's just fun. Well, Farmer so, Greg, somebody can find out more or learn more today at uh, urbanfarm.org. And next uh, next month in March, when we have you back on the fourth Saturday of the month, we're talking regenerative gardening. I do love oh, that, yes, uh, yes, yes. that concept, that tactic. Yeah. Uh, and we look forward to that. That'll be March 23rd right here at Rosie on the House. Farmer Greg. Thanks for having me. Keep those tomato plants aside. I want at least five. I'll All right. I'll swing by afterwards. Woo!